scriptures can communicate different meetings at different times in our life according to our needs. A scripture that we may have read many times can take on nuances, nuances of meaning that are refreshing and insightful when we face a new challenge in life. When I stumble, I will keep getting up relying on the grace and enabling power of Jesus Christ. I will stay in my covenant with him and work through my questions by study of God's word, by faith, and with the help of the Holy Ghost whose guidance I trust. I will seek his spirit every day by doing the small and simple things. This is my path of discipleship. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me. This was an interesting one, and it's probably going to be pretty short as well. Yeah, it's interesting that we get to go back to Christmas now. Yeah. Matthew 2 and Luke 2, basically the nativity story. <clears throat> really cool stuff in here, though, that, I mean, beyond, of course, the major story, the birth of the Savior. There's also, like, all the all the different characters I find kind of interesting. King Herod, who is, count by the account of the, the Jews, is kind of like an illegitimate king. You know, he's not in the hereditary line he's been placed there as king over them and when he hears that the king of the jews is going to be born in this prophecy he does not take kindly to that he doesn't want anything to do with that to say the least i mean the wise men come the wise men fascinate me because i don't know who they are we don't know exactly where they come from and how many there were how many there were we say three but that's just a tradition there could yeah. have been seven for all we know but well, the nativity sets there's always a black one like an asian one and then another <laughs> one that you can't tell you know. yeah like an eastern european guy <laughs> a slavic guy or something, Mongol or something. <laughs> <laughs> but the wise men fascinate me because this not only means that you would have had to have been very educated not only in the culture that isn't your own very wealthy too you probably yeah. have to be pretty wealthy and also like know how to navigate long distances potentially and be able to recognize that there's a new star right because if i went outside tomorrow night i wouldn't know if there was a new star or not unless it was like incredibly obvious but you know i'm not knowledgeable enough to know that you'd be you'd have to know about it so you'd have to have scriptures you'd have to probably have that understanding because we know in the book of mormon the star was a symbol that they were about to kill all the believers right if if the sign wasn't given right and then you know but i i like to think that they must have been other civilizations that had the gospel and had enough of it that they looked forward to the savior so they must have had maybe they didn't have what we call the law of moses because moses may have not been their their prophet but they probably had a preparatory law of some sort because the purpose of the law of moses was to guide people to christ and, and be an example of sacrifice by blood and the great sacrifice that christ would get right um i also just see them as being really curious like 
even if they didn't know all of that as being doctrine to them, maybe it was like, there's this culture out there that they believe that when there's a new star in the East around this time, that their savior will be born into the world. We should go investigate. We should go see what that's about, you know, and just the curiosity of wanting to come. And it, it's interesting to me that they stopped at Herod first, right, to kind of pay homage to the ruler of that area. Obviously, I wonder if they expected the Jews to be super excited and be like, oh, yeah, it's right over there. Yeah. Come this way. This is where we have parking for the caravans or whatever, right? <laughs> but it, I think it was obvious to them that to those in ruling had no idea this was going on. Well, and Herod even had to bring in his guys, you know, and to be like, what is this about? I need to know everything there is to know about this King of the Jews character, right? Because he felt threatened uh, by this. And when you're essentially an occupying force and there's any, any inkling that they're going to get some sort of inspiring thing, you, you might feel threatened that there's going to be an uprising of some kind to get you out and put this other person in. It's just interesting because there's so much we don't know. This incredibly famous story, this incredibly read portion of the Bible. I don't know how many functions you go to every Christmas where they read these verses, right? But there's still so much that we don't know about who these people were, why they were doing what they were doing, what their motivations were, and what the outcomes were after the fact. Like the wise men come, they find, by all accounts, we know that they, he wasn't a baby anymore when they arrived. Like it was potentially months later, maybe even a couple of years later. So this is a child now who they're visiting. They give him a presence and then we never hear about them again. They just well, he's got to be under two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess because Herod goes and massacres all the children under two years old. You know, because we know at least with Abraham, when he traveled, it was a whole Abraham isaac and esau and all that it was just like a they travel a bunch of people together and then <laughs> later on when when joseph and, and mary they go to the temple to to do you know their offering it seems like they brought a caravan of family members you know so much that they lost jesus um, and they didn't know where he was they assumed he was in the crowd you know so it wasn't probably 10 people you know so i wonder like these wise men if it was quite a bit of them Maybe they even give Jared, Herod, Jared, Herod a, a, a gift, you know. Hey, here you go, thanks. And and Herod is even more threatened because who are these people that yeah. are interested and they are they have riches and they're well to do and whatever, right? You know, I, I wonder, you know, what all of that would look like. Um, because also, I often think, what would Joseph and Mary have done with these riches? Well, we know that they had to go to Egypt, to flee to Egypt. They probably could live off of it for yeah. some time. And it's kind of interesting how, if you were to read maybe their journals or hear from their perspective, how they had these questions. And, and then Joseph in a dream, you got to go take your family to Egypt. It's like, well, how do we, oh, well, we have these gifts from the wise men they gave us, you know, we take that and, and we trade it over there. And I don't know. It's just yeah. kind of like, there, there's definitely so much more to what happened. And what's been recorded. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool, though, to think that they're not particularly wealthy. That even even the sacrifice that they give when they go to the temple is two turtle doves, which is indicative of a family that doesn't come from wealth, right? It's not a big sacrifice. So having to just get up and leave and go to Egypt was probably an extremely stressful and costly thing to do. So to have, even if it's just the gold, the other two kind of have practical uses, I guess. But the gold is like, 
maybe that was able to fund that that trip into Egypt and back. It's kind of uh, as we go through this and you talk about Jesus has a baby, Jesus has a child. There's not a whole lot that we, we hear about him growing up and stuff in Matthew and in, in Luke as well. There's some little snippets about it. Uh, there's this quote from the Joseph Smith translation. Um, well, here's a, here's a, I don't really know where this quote's from, actually. I think it's just from the uh, New Testament study guide. It says, though it isn't clear how Jesus's years in Nazareth fulfilled prophecy as Matthew attested, the Joseph Smith translation provides some interesting information about his life there. Reminiscent of Luke 2.52, young Jesus prepared for his ministry by growing up with his brethren, waxing strong and serving under his father, even though he needed not that any man should teach him. So, you know, I think last time I, I mentioned this video, that this movie I saw where the Joseph kind of is contemplating what it's like going to be like to raise Jesus and saying, like, what would I even teach him? And I don't think that there was anything he could teach him, like, as far as uh, the purpose of life or anything. I think Jesus kind of grew into that and understood it. I, he still went through a veil, I think, and, and maybe uh, had to be had to learn and grow it again. But I think he caught on very quickly. I think he knew things inherently. Well, I see two examples, one where he goes to the temple, right? And his mom is kind of upset. She's yeah. like, what in the world? He did tell them, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going about my father's business. But then he was also subject unto them. So it seems like he knew that he also needed to be respectful to his earthly parents, that he needed to to be subject unto them. And then there's the example, I think, of um, oh, yeah. the wine. Yeah, no, they turned the water to wine. And 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 uh, his mom's like, hey, we kind of need this. Well, okay, <laughs> you know, and, and it just it makes it seem a little bit like he knew who he was, but to his mom and dad, he was still their son, you know, uh, in a way. I don't yeah. know. That would be probably really complicated. Well, it, it's interesting though because when he when he does kind of get lost um, on the way back from the temple. It says they searched for him for three days, which I can't even imagine what that conversation was like between Mary and Joseph. They're like, first we have we give birth to the savior of the world, and then we lose him. You know, like <laughs> where is he? And they're probably like, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with his cousin. I thought he was with I. I don't know where he is for three days, and then they find him teaching people in the temple, and they ask him, you know, what's going on, and he says, I'm doing my father's business. And it's clear that at age 12 or whatever age he was around there, by that time, he had a very clear understanding of his purpose, a very clear understanding of who he was and who what he what he was going to be doing. And I think that's really important because we often think, you know, his ministry didn't start until he was 30, whatever. But along the way, I think he's learning and growing and in, in figuring out how he will be teaching people he's figuring out how people work how people think how people act because when he's teaching these men he's probably not i i think he's learning from that experience and he's learning how learned people will will respond to him how people might doubt him what's the likelihood that these people that later in his life ridicule him demean him as being just a carpenter's son and whatever and a nobody are going to 
be looking at him with admiration and respect as a 12 year old most likely they're like who is this kid and where does he come up with all this stuff but he's learning how that might feel and what that's going to be like later in life when his ministry actually does start this is like him and his training program right uh from a very young child and youth all the way through until it's time to actually start his formal ministry i think along the way he's learning a lot and i think that the function of his parents were to keep him grounded and also to provide him the perspective of what uh, mortal people are like um what our, our concerns are so that when he's able to teach in parables and teach in examples like that later in life he can speak to people where they are he can talk to people in terms that they'll understand right instead of just being like look there's all this stuff i know and that you'll someday know but it's hard for me to explain it no he's getting practical applications throughout his life he's gaining all these experiences with all these different people of what it's going to be like to teach later in his life yeah i think and, that has to be learned too well i mean I, I really like also that in these in this lesson and in these chapters we see that well we're very used to in the new testament having christ almost always being confronted by unbelievers yeah but there are some really good examples leading up to his birth of there were righteous people you know there's the shepherds in the fields there's simeon there's anna and there's the, there's the wise men you know and the shepherds of the field you know that was more of like a testimony and it's hard to tell why the shepherds were were selected if it was just a random act or all the shepherds or whatever but to you know it's a it's a really good example that this is glad tidings something great is going to happen um and then with simeon i really like that story because he was he was a righteous man and he worked in the temple and he was told by the holy ghost you will not die before you see the lord and then finally he sees the baby coming in in mary's arms and he gets to hold him and and he says uh he took him in his arms blessed bless god and said lord now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eye has seen thy salvation and and then he's kind of starts to prophesy you know which thou hast prepared you know before the face of all people to light a light to lighten the gentiles and the glory of thy people israel so he he knew that christ was for everyone and then we have the story of anna you know a prophetess a righteous woman that worked i think also in the temple and she was fasting and praying for many days so maybe she and because we were just talking about the star and the wise men and were there other people that knew something i believe that they probably would have known they probably would have been aware and and she it says fasted day and night in verse 38 of luke 2 and and she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the lord and spake of him of all them that looked for the redemption of jerusalem you know um and and it is it is interesting and i and i wonder you know a funny thing that when I first read the, well, even when I read it now, the New Testament, <laughs> there's always these examples of like, uh, and Jesus did this, so then it would be said, the scripture said he would have done that. Or, and then they went to Nazareth, so then it would be, so the scripture would be correct that he would be a Nazarite. Or or he walked by Galilee, so he'd know how to, or Egypt, uh, I'd call my son out of Egypt. There's like all of these links to previous prophecies saying, and and I don't know that 
Christ was like, had a book of like achievements. Well, I got to do these certain things. So then, you know, I unlock these, these prophecies that I had done. You know, I think it was more God in his wisdom. He knew Christ and had given the people many signs for those who are willing to recognize the Savior to recognize him. And those who aren't would be kind of like Herod. What do you mean there's a Savior? You mean he's he's a threat to me? Mm-hmm. As opposed to other people who, when they recognize the signs and they recognize him, it was, oh, my life, I can die in peace now. My life has been fulfilled. This is the greatest moment ever. And I just liken that to our day where we're kind of in the same boat. Our prophet himself is saying there's so many miraculous things happening. There, there's the, the, you know, all of these great things. There's reason to be happy. And the Lord is among us, you know. And, and you know, you're going to see miracles that you've never seen before. And, or on the other hand, we could say, well, the gospel, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean about this commandment? What do you mean about this? And I don't know, that's a threat to me. And, and we can go harried on things as opposed to, you know, the example of Simeon and Anna and the wise men and the shepherds, right? Yeah, I think the, the shepherds stand out a lot to me because um, unlike the wise men, the shepherds were not people of high class. They weren't well-known. They weren't wealthy. They weren't probably all that particularly educated. They, a shepherd at this time, they spent all the time outside with their flocks. Their job was to manage and keep and protect their flocks. So they were often isolated, um, kind of doing their own thing, and they'd interact with each other, but they weren't really, they were definitely outsiders in main society. And if there's anything I've learned about our Savior is that he'll always reach out to the people on the fringes. That a lot of times we we want to be part of the clique, part of the main group and whatever. And so you look around even in your ward and you see people that kind of don't feel like they fit a mold or fit a certain expectation of how to look or act or whatever. And those are the people that most likely the Savior would go to first to just be like, I want to bring you into my fold. My fold is not a clique. My fold is not a special elitist club. My fold is everyone. But he went to them first, went to the shepherds first and said, you know, brought the, the angels said, hey, guess what's happening? The, the Savior is being born. And what did they do? They immediately went and told everyone they knew after they saw him. It wasn't like, uh, cool, this is a cool experience that we're, we get to be here. And, oh, my gosh, how exclusive this group, you know. <laughs> it was like, oh, my gosh, this is true. This is real. Let's go share it with everyone. And they went hastily and told everyone that they knew. And I, I just think about that, that these guys probably never expected to ever have an opportunity or experience like that. They probably saw themselves as, you know, this is my my role in this world and in this life is just to do this job watching these sheep forever. And they had this opportunity to witness uh, the Savior's birth and then go and share it with others. And that I, I would like to know what the rest of their lives was like. How did they cherish that experience forever? What were they? Where were they when he started his ministry? Where were they when the Pharisees were pushing him to the Romans to crucify? Um, did they follow? Did they listen? Did they keep track of him? Or did they just kind of cherish that experience in their hearts forever? You know, 
because uh, that's part of it too. These these intensely exper spiritual experience that Mary had, and it said that she kept it in her heart. And it's like, why? Because some things are for us. Some things aren't for the world. Some things aren't for social media. Some experiences are for us. And to only be maybe expressed to others in times of uh, spiritual strengthening or testimony bearing, but not something where like, so guess what happened? You know, you, that they're, they're for us to cherish and to hold that spiritual experience uh, as a direct communication from our Heavenly Father. I like um, when, you were think, when you were talking there, I was thinking about David, whom King David, when he was young, he was a shepherd. And we know that before he fought Goliath, I mean, he had fought bears and other <laughs> animals, but he wasn't like a warrior, you know, like his brothers um, and what these shepherds might represent or who they were. Uh, they're probably really hardworking. <laughs> um, and they probably understood the importance of, of taking care of, you know, the flock, you know, and, and they probably had, I mean, you'd probably need to be a very nurturing, patient person to be a shepherd. And those were the ones that were sent to go teach, you know, to go explain the good news, to give hope to people. I'm just fascinated. This time around, I think one of the biggest um, takeaways that I've gotten in this lesson and, and with these scriptures, uh, this Come Follow Me section, has been how much the, the Christ how much it wasn't a secret that Christ was coming, you know, and how much those that there were some that were prepared and had wonderful experiences and recognized them. And, and, and then there were others who were not prepared or professed to believe, but lived differently, you know, because Herod or the king of the Jews should have been the first one to say, hey, you know, in their society, having a king prophet wasn't that out, outlandish, right? You know, it represented, you know, the leader, the, the, the high priest of the people, the one that was going to lead everybody. And, and we see that he came to a place where the leaders in the society didn't get him. You know, and even after he got here, most of the time he explains, I'm here to deliver you. I am your savior from sin this other thing you want the romans or whatever it's not anything you need to really worry about <laughs> you know that's yeah. not the important part of, the, of this ministry he had you know and, and like you mentioned about the shepherds like how he reached out to them I, I then thought about the book mormon you know when he came and he met with every individual got to come and see and you know, they didn't get his ministry, earthly ministry, but they got probably his post-earthly ministry. I don't know if you can call it that. And they got kind of the same thing, but and other sheep have I that are not of this fold and, and all that stuff. So anyway, I really like this lesson. I, I, I learned quite a bit more, especially with the examples of the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, and the wise men, that this wasn't done in secret. The... The, the very last verse of Luke 2, Luke 2.52, says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And there's a, a book by Madsen called 12-Year-Old Deacon. And in there he says, As a youth he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That he grew up with his brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord for the time of his ministry to come. 
and that he was in all points tempted like like we as we are. Indeed, he faced temptations of every kind, but gave no heed unto them. And when confronted by Lucifer, the father of all lies, the author of all sin, Jesus was protected not only by his knowledge of the scriptures, but also by his absolute obedience to the word and will of his father. And I think about all of those phrases in there, you know, increased in wisdom and stature, grew up with his brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord, all of those different phrases in there. It's kind of like a blueprint for the youth and for all of us. But like, what should you be involved in? And are you are you trying to grow in wisdom? Are you trying to grow in with other people like he did not isolate himself in the mountains and say, if I'm going to be savior, then I have to become one with myself and self-realized and then I'll come into the world and they'll they'll recognize me as like this wise you know, person. No, he was with everybody else and learning and growing. And, you know, we, we have to look at it that way as well. Are, are we part of the group? Are we building ourselves and those around us? Are we learning to not not give in to temptation, not give heed to them? When you when you have youth, you can it's easier to maybe apply all of this because it's like talking about when he was young as well. But I think it applies to all of us because are we continuing to grow in our knowledge and wisdom? Are we continuing to grow our testimony the way he did? He's our perfect example and in these ways as well, not just what he did in the end, but what he did leading up to his ministry as well. How was he preparing and what was he preparing for? Well, what are we preparing for and how are we preparing? What are we doing in our lives to prepare for whatever challenges or whatever opportunities might come our way? Are we following that example as well, or are we just waiting until he gets to the ministry part to listen to what he says then? The whole thing matters, right? In our relationship with the Savior, he looks on the heart and is no respecter of persons. Consider how he chose his apostles. He didn't pay attention to status or wealth. He invites us to follow him, and I believe he reassures us that we belong with him. I testify that we grow in our discipleship when we exercise faith in the Lord during difficult times. As we do so, he will mercifully strengthen us and help us carry our burdens. The Savior knows your struggles in detail. He knows your great potential to grow in faith, hope, and charity. The commandments and covenants he offers you are not tests to control you. They are a gift to lift you towards receiving all the gifts of God and to returning home to your Heavenly Father and the Lord who love you.